Good morning. It's, boy, it's been a joy to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, and uh, open them to the letter of Ephesians. Uh, as you're doing that, I just want to say every, this is the second time that Araja Choir has been with us, and um, I just sit there um, utterly amazed um, at these children um, as they sing in English these songs um, uh, that, uh, you know, I sit there and think, now, what if I had to learn their language to sing their songs? How would I be able to do that? You ever thought about that? That, that's, that doesn't, you know, it's not that easy. They have to take, it takes a lot of training and a lot of practice to do that, but they, they do it so well. You know what I enjoy most about when they sing? They get into their singing. Um, uh, they're smiling. They're dancing around. I told Nancy, I leaned over to Nancy. I said, I know you. You wish you could do that every Sunday. Um, uh, and uh, I just believe that that's the way it's going to be in heaven. Amen. Um, uh, there's, we're not going to be inhibited when we uh, get to heaven in our worship. We're going to rejoice and sing praises to the Lord, um, uh, who is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, as they were singing earlier. You know, when a person joins an organization or a club, um, uh, they they uh, agree to abide by the uh, standards, uh, the rules, the principles of that particular organization. Uh, if a person wants to be a part of a business, if they want to be employed at a certain business, they know uh, what that business stands for and they agree upon their hiring that they will abide by the principles and the values of that business. If, if you join an athletic team, then you agree that you will cooperate with the expectations, the rules of that team. You, you will listen to your coach and you will abide by his directions and the rules of the game. Uh, we, we know that uh, if you're a citizen of uh, a country like America, then we know there are certain laws that we are obligated to abide by to uh, show that we are obedient citizens, lawful citizens of this country. Human society could not operate without such obligations. But interestingly, sometimes in the church, such loyalties to standards and uh, principles um, are not as acceptable. We, 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 we join the church, we, we, we talk about becoming a member of God's family, but then we act as if we can continue to live as we choose rather than abiding by God's standards and principles that he has laid down in his word. Uh, too many Christians are glad to have the, the, the spiritual security and the, the blessings and the promises of being members of God's family and citizens in his kingdom, but they have little sense of responsibility of conforming to God's standards and being willing to obey his commands. 
If you've got your Bible open here in Ephesians chapter 4, then I want you to understand that as Paul begins this uh, chapter, uh, he starts on the last three chapters of his letter. We've covered the first three letters of uh, Ephesians. And in the first three chapters of this letter, Paul has talked about, Paul has shared about how it's possible to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The the fact that God loved us so much that he gave his son to, to die for us on the cross. And Paul says that we are saved by grace. And God calls us to salvation based upon his grace and what Jesus did for us on the cross. And for three chapters, Paul has talked about how wonderful it is of what God has done in calling us to be members of his family, to be citizens of his kingdom. And now Paul comes in chapter 4 to end his letter in these remaining three chapters to speak about, okay, now that you are a member of God's family, now that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, now that you understand your calling to salvation, Paul says, now I'm going to tell you how you need to conduct your life, how you need to live. He's, he's going to show us how our behavior reflects our true belief. In other words, the first three chapters of Ephesians speak about um, our entrance into God's family, our belief And then in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is saying, now that you've believed this, now that you have understood your calling as a believer, now I want to share with you how you need to behave, how you need to live your life. And so he says, if you look there in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Friends, Paul's point here is if we are truly a Christian, if we're truly a child of God, if we're, if we're a member of God's family, then we will act a certain way. We will walk the talk, in other words. Here's what I want you to take from the message this morning. As members of God's family, we are to walk worthily of our position Well, there are two things that I want you to see in these three verses, first three verses of chapter four. First of all, as they relate to this walk that Paul talks about, if we're going to walk worthily of our position as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to notice, first of all, the sovereign call to salvation, to the saved. Paul says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's our purpose, to walk the talk. The calling to which you've been called is the sovereign saving call of God on a person's life. No person can choose 
the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior who has not already been chosen by the Lord. Jesus said uh, he came to seek and to save the lost, to seek the lost and to show them that he has provided the way of their salvation. So based on God's sovereign call to salvation, Paul made no apology for pleading with believers to do what was right. Paul says, now that you understand that God in his grace has called you to salvation, regardless of your background, regardless of the life that you have lived, regardless of how far away from God you have fallen, Paul says, God in his grace has saved you, but now I want you to understand, you can't go back to your old life. You have to turn from your old ways and you have to change your way of living, your way of thinking, your way of conducting your life. And so Paul says, you need to walk worthily of the call that God has placed on your life. And I understand Paul is not simply given suggestions here for the Christian to abide by, but he's giving divine standards, which when lived by would prove the validity of the person's profession of their calling as children of God. The word walk that he uses there means daily conduct or day-by-day living. And it's the theme of the last three chapters here in Paul's letter. The believer who walks in a manner worthy of his calling is one whose daily life matches his high position as a member of God's family. And you and I, Paul wants us to understand how very blessed, how fortunate we are to be called children of God. Isn't that a blessing to your life? That you're a child of God? That you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Paul says when you think about it long enough, when you understand God in his grace has nothing to do with what I deserve what we deserve, what we think we are due. Paul says, God in his grace, regardless of where you came from, regardless of your past, God has saved you. And in light of that, Paul says, there are things that God now expects from those who have surrendered to his call. In other words, Paul wants his readers to understand their walk must live up to their profession. Let me explain it with a true story. In 1819, there was a little girl that was born into a family in England. Her father was Edward, Duke of Kent. They named the child Victoria. She was to become Queen Victoria, but her parents decided that they were not going to tell her that she would one day be queen of the most powerful nation on the earth at that time, but that they would wait. And rather than them telling it to her at a young age, they would wait until she learned it herself 
in school. So when she was about 13 years of age, she was in school one day and the the studies were about the lineage of the royal family in England and she became aware for the first time that her uncle William the 4th when he died she would become queen of all of England And that 13-year-old girl made an amazing statement which applies to the Christian. She said, because of who I am, I determined that I will be good. Now, she didn't say she would like, she would have to act like royalty in order to become the queen she was born to be. But rather, she said, because of the way I have been born, because of who I am, I determine that I will be good. Now, how does that relate to us? Friend, we don't have to be good to become a Christian. But because we are Christians, we ought to determine to be good. Amen? That's what she was saying. I don't have to be good in order to be the queen. I was born the queen. I am going to be queen regardless. But I choose to live my life differently. I choose to be good because I'm the queen. And Paul wants us to understand that as a child of the king, as a member of God's family, We're to conduct ourselves differently than the world around us. We're to show that we are royalty. We just belong to a different royal family. We belong to the sovereign God of this world, King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, act as a true child of God. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, that leads to Paul's second point about the worthy walk of the Christian. Paul, how are we to walk? Paul highlights the spiritual characteristics of the saved in um, verses 2 and 3. Look what he says. Now, he has said, walk worthy of the calling that you have been called with, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, one thing Paul wants us to understand here is we're not alone in this walk We are walking together in fellowship with other Christians, whether it's those that are here in this church family, this body of believers known as Cornerstone Baptist Church, whether it's in fellowship with the believers in the other churches throughout our community, or whether it's with those who travel halfway across the world, these children in the Daraja Choir, we are walking together in fellowship with God. 
And Paul says, because of the fact that we are not isolationists, we are not alone, we are not individual believers as it were, but we are a part of a family, we are part of a group of believers. Paul says we're to act in a certain way. How can you best walk together with other Christians? Paul gives five spiritual qualities here in these two verses that should characterize our fellowship as we walk together. And these characteristics form a progressive uh, uh, process. It's a progression. One leads to the other. And he begins with humility. Look what it there. Now, humility is the most foundational Christian virtue. It literally means to think or judge with lowliness, to have a lowliness of mind. It means to see yourself as God sees you. Yes, we are people of value in God's eyes, but we are of no more value than anyone else in God's family. We all have equal value, regardless of where we come from, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our background, regardless of our heritage. We are valued by God, but we are no more, we are of no more value to God than the other person in front of you, behind you, beside you, and anyone else who claims the name of Christ. Paul says you have to begin right there with humility that you see yourself of value in God's eyes, but you're no more important. I'm no more important. We are no more important than any other member of God's family. We are willing to order our life in such a way to serve God by serving the other people in God's family. Friend, that means within the church, those who are walking worthily of God's calling to salvation upon their life are to walk Um, in a way where we think less of ourselves and more of those around us. The ones who are willing to sacrifice their own desires, their own wants for the sake of what's best for the group. They don't demand their own way, but they are more interested in what's best For all of the people of God, not just what will satisfy my desires, my wants, my needs. Even if it requires a sacrifice on their part, they are willing to sacrifice their own desires, their own needs for the good of others. Paul says you have to begin with humility. Where you quit looking at yourself as the most important person and you begin to see yourself as the least important and see others as more important than yourself. And you begin to have a mindset where everybody's not there to serve my needs, but I'm here to serve their needs. So Paul says, first of all, if you're going to walk worthily of the calling, that's what Jesus did. Jesus thought less of himself. He gave up the glories of heaven. He left heaven to come to this earth. Why? Because he didn't think so much of himself as he did the world that needed him. And Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to this earth that he might die for those of us who could not help ourselves. Well, that's where he starts. And then humility leads to gentleness. 
Now, gentleness is literally the word meek. And meekness is one of the surest signs of true humility. Meekness is not weakness. It means to be mild-spirited or to be self-controlled. In the Bible, the word meek is used to describe a, a, a proud stallion that had been broken and tamed. They had taken that wild horse and tamed it and trained it so that that horse, still powerful, still as powerful as it always been, but its power is now under control of its master, the rider upon its back. And Paul says, you and I as believers, we must get to the place where we don't give up our strengths and our talents and our, all the good qualities about our life, but we bring all of those things under the control of Christ. In other words, we are willing, we have a willing and teachable spirit. We allow God to have his way over us. Meekness is power under control. Friend, are you the kind of person who can be directed who can be taught? Do you have a teachable spirit? Some people are not teachable. They're not willing to be directed. They think they are right about everything. There's nothing that anyone can teach them, at least so they think. Do you have a gentle, teachable spirit? Paul says, if, if we claim to be a member of God's family, then the first thing that should characterize our life is a spirit of humility, where we see others as more important than ourselves, and we have a spirit of gentleness, where we have a teachable spirit, that we do away with pride and arrogance, self-assertiveness, and we allow God to... Sh- do whatever he needs to do in our lives. And that's followed by patience. Now, patience grows out of humility and gentleness. The word literally means long-tempered. It can be translated long-suffering. The patient person endures negative circumstances and puts up with people's faults and failures and inconsistencies. Why? Not because they condone those things in other people, but listen, because they are reminded again that they are no better than the next person and they've not forgotten as my father used to remind us where they came from. And they remember they haven't always been this far along in their own spiritual pilgrimage and how long it took God, how much patience God had with us before we got to the place where we are today. And Paul says, in the same way that God has been patient with me, I, as a follower of Christ, need to be patient with those in my life that he's put in my life to understand that there are always going to be people who are going to disappoint us. There are going to be people who are not going to live up to our standards and our expectations and our desires for them. But just because they don't doesn't mean we give up on them. We learn 
to be patient and we learn to treat them with humility and gentleness. And that leads to the fourth characteristic, which is love. Now, the meaning here is the willingness to put up with something or someone in a spirit of love. The word there is agape love, which is the commitment to um, give up my will for the will of another, to serve another. There's, there will be love in your life toward other people when there is humility and gentleness and patience. And Paul is trying to get us to understand here, this word love, this word agape love, really could be translated kindness. In other words, Paul is saying we are to be kind to one another. We are to show loving kindness to those in, the, in God's family. I read about a little girl who was going to bed one night. She knelt down beside her bed and she prayed, dear God, make all the bad people good and make all the good people nice. You know what she meant by that? There are a lot of people who have never committed adultery, never gotten drunk, never cussed, never stolen anything. They are good, moral, ethical people, but they are mean as snakes. Friend, there are a whole bunch of people out there who do the right things. They live rightly, but they have a attitude they have a spirit about them that is not loving it's not kind they come across as self-righteous as judgmental as critical and when someone doesn't live up to our standards or our expectations instead of treating them kindly we treat them meanly and Paul says that's not characteristic of a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ let me ask you something Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you that way? Aren't you glad that every time you have something in your life, a failure, or every time you disobey God, that God is not just lambasting you? God is not just treating you meanly? He's not turning his back on you? He's refusing to talk to you? Paul says, we need to learn to be kind to one another. Some people take pride in being sarcastic. You ever thought about the fact that Jesus was never sarcastic with anyone? Jesus always treated people with kindness. He always spoke tenderly towards people. He always spoke in a gentle way. And even when he had to address people and be firm, he did it in a kind way. Way. You can be firm and still be kind to people. Paul says, patience leads to loving kindness. And it all results, look in verse 3, in unity. Paul says, maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, when I practice humility, when I practice patience, when I practice gentleness love, then the more we do that in the body of Christ, the more unity there will be. 
Think about if you practice these things in your family, there would be greater unity in our families. There would be greater unity in our churches. There would be greater unity in our culture. There would be unity everywhere if we practice these things. Christian, let me just say something to you today. Could it be that the problems in our families today, the problems in our world today, the problems in our churches today are more related to our own inconsistent walk with the Lord Jesus than it is with the moral and ethical failures of a culture outside our doors? Because we're not walking worthily of the call that we've been given. I want to ask you this morning, are these qualities true of your life? Are you a person of humility? Do you have a gentle spirit about you? Do you practice patience with those who disappoint you, who don't live up? to your expectations? Do you treat people kindly? And are you one who longs for unity among your family, your friends, your church family, and the greater society around us? Paul says we've been privileged because we've been called to salvation. We are honored to be members of God's family. He says, now, in light of that, show yourself worthy of this call on your life. Pray with me. Father, we thank you today for your word, and we thank you for your call to salvation. God, I thank you for just every person in this room who has accepted your call to salvation. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us where we have failed you, where we have failed one another, where we have forgotten how you yourself treat us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would follow in your footsteps and that we would begin to practice these qualities of humility and gentleness and patience, loving kindness and unity in our lives, all for your glory and your honor and for the benefit of your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As this choir leads us, I'm going to ask you this morning, maybe that you want to come during this invitation. They're not going to mind. If you want to come and kneel on these rugs up here, if you, I'm going to be standing up here. If you would like to come and share something on your heart this morning, ask for prayer, you do that while they lead us in this invitation. You do as God has spoken to you about this morning.